Hello, and welcome to Gen Z Israel. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this podcast. مرحبا وأهلا بكم في جيل زد إسرائيل. شلوم وبروخي مبايم لجن زي إسرائيل بودكاست. Hello and welcome to Gen Z Israel. My name is Karen Schneidinger and I'm one of the Israel Diplomacy Fellows at the Consulate General of Israel to New England. And I'm going to be one of your hosts today. I'm very happy to introduce you to Anne McDougall Stamey, the Director of Public Relations here at the Consulate. We're very excited for this episode and are ready to explore new themes and communities and their relationships to Israel. As it is Military Appreciation Month, we're excited to introduce you to Haley Zwickel, a Norwich graduate who just commissioned into the Air Force. Hi, Haley. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you on, and I'm really excited for this. So, Haley, before we dive into it, why don't you tell us a bit more about yourself? I know you've had a very interesting life and career journey, and I'm sure our listeners would love to hear more about it. Yeah, so uh, my name is Haley Zwickel. I'm 22 years old. I grew up in Montville, New Jersey, which is just about 25 minutes outside of Manhattan, New York. Um, so lots of traffic. And um, see, I just recently commissioned into the United States Air Force on April 30th, so I'm a second lieutenant. Um, and see, I graduated from Norwich University and I majored in psychology and I concentrated in neuroscience and I also minored in biology and leadership and I'll be doing intelligence with the Air Force. What called you to a career with the military? Okay, so it's a long story. Um, It starts when I was in uh, the second grade and sort of why I studied psychology and why I went into the military are all kind of tied together. So uh, my uncle, my great uncle, was in Vietnam and was also present at 9-11. And he had a very debilitating case of post-traumatic stress disorder. And, you know, I didn't necessarily understand at that time it all this, the full scope of what was going on, I understood that there was something wrong. And to the extent at that age, I could understand, I knew it was something to do with mental health. So um, sort of I, I, in the second grade, you know, I asked my, my parents about it. I'm sure they, they could <laughs> explain it better than me. I announced dramatically that I was going to study psychology. And that, has, that stuck uh, from the second grade. And it sort of morphed what I wanted to do with it, though. And eventually I settled on wanting to treat combat and military veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder. And that was the career path that I wanted. Hmm. Uh, Sometime around middle school, I remember thinking I would have absolutely no credibility with the people that that I wanted to be working with if I hadn't served myself. So that's what started pushing me in the direction to join the military because I wanted to have an understanding of what led these people that I wanted to help to have to be in that situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And also having credibility in in their eyes. They would have no reason to listen to a word I had to say if I hadn't experienced it too. Um, And that's that's sort of what led me to to the military. And then um, 
when I started looking more specifically at what I wanted to do and then at the Air Force, um, the more I looked into it, the more I wanted to serve for myself as well. And the more um, I wanted to make it into a career and I, my long-term goal is still to do that and still to work with veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder, but I wanna have a career in the Air Force first in intelligence. So what drew you to attend a military academy? So I just didn't want to go to a normal school. Um, the only schools that I applied to were Norwich, the Citadel, which is another senior military college, and the Air Force Academy. I had just sort of no interest in going to uh, a, regular, a regular school. Part of that was because I knew I wanted the structure of it. And part of it is because the town that I grew up in, I didn't get along. I didn't, I didn't not get along with the people there, um, but I also didn't quite get along with them. I was sort of on the outside looking in because my town doesn't generally produce a lot of people that go into the military. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just sort of, I knew the kind of people that I wanted to be around and I, I knew that that was an environment that would suit me pretty well. And then I got to Norwich and very quickly realized it was the right decision because I met a lot of people that were like-minded to me that I had never experienced before, which was nice. Loved coming to campus, mm -hmm. as you know, been there a few times now. Can you tell us a bit about the Norwich class rank? It's a bit of a legend. Don't quote me on the location and the date. But from what I, this is the rings. So, so class rings are a huge sort of benchmark of military school culture, not just for Norwich, but for the federal academies, senior military uh, colleges. It's a huge part of the culture. Earning your ring is pretty much second only to commissioning. It's the, the biggest thing up until your point in your, in, in that point in your career at the school. Um, that, that you've, that you've done what you needed to do to earn it. Um, so of all of the military schools, Norwich has the biggest rings. We're very proud of it. We're very biased about it. Um, bigger than West Point. 100%. Absolutely. Yes. If you ask a West Point person, they might not agree with me, but as a Norwich person, our rings are the best and the biggest. Um, <laughs> uh, but something it's my, my most favorite fun fact. Um, really glad that you guys don't find it as off-putting as some people sometimes. Do. I love it. I love the some fun people facts. find it. Some people find it a little off-putting, but it's one of my favorite fun facts about Norwich and about the class ring. Um, so again, don't quote me on the date and the location. I'm fairly certain, maybe early two thousands, um, uh, in the Middle East, in one of the various theaters that the United States military was located at the time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think it's two, I think it's two confirmed kills. Um, wow. I, again, don't quote me. Um, <laughs> is that uh, Norwich University alumni um, killed an adversary and the class ring is the weapon accredited with the kill. My gosh. And it also is considered a weapon, right? Yeah, so big enough size. So this, the it's ring huge. I'm wearing right now yeah. is a 40. So that's a 40 penny weight. So mm -hmm. it's the weight of 40, 40 pennies. 
and the size of them, depending on what state you're in or, you know, what airline you may or may not be going on, they could be considered breast knuckles. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm no stranger to mischief. And so mm. when I saw your tank at the football field. <laughs> Sabine Sally. <laughs> yes. Can we hear more about her? Yes. So Sabine Sally is, uh, so Norwich University used to be a cavalry school. Um, uh, cavalry being tanks. They used to train people on tanks. And there's actually a couple really funny stories of, um, you know, a couple of Norwich students may or may not have tactically acquired a tank and drove it down into Northfield to break their buddy out of police station. And maybe Vermont's like, not. no more maybe, tanks. Maybe not. I don't know. It's, a, it's sort of a myth. Um, haven't met anybody at Norwich who could 100% confirm that story, but... Um, I met someone know. who did. I won't say who, but someone did. Okay, yeah. cool. It's yeah. confirmed. Can confirm. Some Norwich students broke their friend or attempted to break their friend out of jail with a tank. Anyway, Sabine Sally is a nod to the school's history in that respect. Uh, and it's, it's name is, it's, you know, it's on Sabine Field. Sabine is the name of the football field. Mm -hmm. The tank's name is Sally, so Sabine Sally. Um, president Anna Rumo is the school's new president as of two years ago. Um, she's got a dog and named the dog Sally Rose after Aww. the tank. So the president's dog is named after the school's tank, which is mm -hmm. fun. And um, there's a couple, so Rookdom is, you know, the, the hard part of being a freshman, you know, at the different military schools have different names for what their freshmen are. Some, you know, rats, knobs, we call them rooks. It's a nicer name. I like it. I like it better. Yeah. You know, you know why the side note, you know why the Citadel calls their freshmen knobs? No. They have to shave their heads and they look like doorknobs. Oh. oh. Yeah. That's what I was told when I toured. It's the better Citadel. than rat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I like, but I like rook. It's like rookie. Yeah. But um, so there's a couple of different things. At the end of Rookdom, you get recognized. And that's when you're given your rank and officially recognized as a member of the Corps of Cadets. And there's a couple of things that you could that are that are said that if you do them around campus, you earn yourself and maybe your affiliates. But there's more than instant one recognition. I thought it was just the tank. There's two. Oh, one. There's a second one that I know. Okay. The first one has to do with the tank. Okay. So the tank obviously it's heavy. If um, and it doesn't run. Okay. The myth it's not not quite a myth it's what what is said on campus is that if you can move the tank a couple people disagree on how far you have to move the tank okay. what i was told as a freshman was that if you can get the tank because it's at it's right around mm -hmm. one side of the football field if you can get the tank to the other end of the football field you've earned instant recognition okay i was told jackman hall oh that's a long We've, way. A lot of people have been told different <laughs> things then because some people say, well, if you can just get it onto the field or mm. if you do it, basically you move the tank, you mm. get recognized is the moral of the story. Do people uh, try it every year? I don't know of anybody who's tried it in the last few years. Have you all tried to push it? You get a whole group no, of people I've out never, there? I've never tried. Um, most people just like sit on it sometimes during like a couple people get up there and sit on it during to watch football games. Mm. Um, but the second one that I know of is so first sergeants mm -hmm. and platoon sergeants for rook companies get whistles. 
So I was a, I was a first sergeant mm -hmm. for a second company, which is a cadet training company too. It's a second company. Um, and it's a company of freshmen. And so my whistle is, was silver. And basically what happens is you never blow the whistle. The first time that every person's whistle is ever blown is on recognition. Is on okay. the night that your rooks are being recognized. Mm -hmm. So if you can manage as a rook to acquire a whistle from either your first sergeant or your platoon sergeant and you blow it, the blowing of the whistle means recognition. So if the whistle's blown before then, that's that's sort of the other Ooh, yeah. That, Nobody that ever like tried to take my whistle. No one tried to take Nobody your whistle. Nobody ever tried to take my whistle. I also didn't make it. I don't know if um, how Did many you of, sleep with it? Were you like? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how many. I know that was some, the whistle thing was something I was explained as a freshman. Mm -hmm. I didn't go out of my way to mention that to mm. any of my freshmen. Did like your freshman class try to get a whistle? My Rook brothers, I think, talked about it a couple times, but I don't think we ever tried it. Um, but it was, yeah, it's, it was, it's sort of just a funny thing, but also, um, if you get up close to the, where it is on your uniform, it's actually very difficult to get off of the hook that it's on. Oh, so okay. I remember on recognition night when I was trying to get it out of the little hook, cause it's, it, it drapes, it's, it drapes from the epaulette and it's on mm -hmm. a chain. The whistle's on it attached to a chain attached to uh, a thing that pins to the pocket. Okay. And on the thing that pins is a very tight hook. So, and that's where the whistle just hangs on that hook. It's very tight to get the whistle. So I remember sat there like futzing with mm -hmm. the the whistle for a while, trying to get it off so I could blow it. So somebody would have had to go through a lot of trouble to entirely remove it from my uniform. Oh. If they really wanted to get to it. Sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned that you studied psychology while mm. you were at Norwich. So how is that related to the division you commissioned into? Mm. So I want to do, so I'm, I've, I've commissioned into my Air Force uh, specialty code or AFSC mm. is intelligence. And um, within that, there are certain branches. And what I am specifically trying to do is something called human intelligence. So it's sort of what it sounds like. It's you're, mm -hmm. you're gaining intelligence from the human route, whether, whatever that may look like. Um, I do want to, after I've done a little, a, a few years with intelligence, transition into a very similar field that's called information operations, okay. which is, uh, essentially a little bit, it's more of an offensive outlook on intelligence. It's, it's leveraging information and the social sciences to manipulate and create certain desirable streams of events, I yeah. guess, and having an understanding of psychology and how people are motivated and why they do the things that they do is a good groundwork for being able to understand how to leverage certain things. And, and that's, that's sort of my outlook on it. Um, but as far as specifics go, um, I'll find out when I get there. Wow. So you've kind of already talked about this, mm -hmm. you know, you said that you didn't always know that you wanted to go into the military. It wasn't until later on middle school, 
making that decision. Um, is there anything more you want to add to that? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I, I don't, I don't come from a military family and it's mm -hmm. something that I, it took my parents and, you know, my grandparents a while to sort of mm -hmm. come to terms with, um, that that was something that I wanted to do. Uh, especially, you know, my grandparents, um, for, for, for a little while there, we're still sort of stuck in the, you know, military is a man's job mindset. Mm. And when, you know, I started saying that I wanted to do that, it was something that was new for them even to be thinking about. And it was, it's really nice to see the change in them. They were, they were there at my commissioning and, and to see how proud of me they were for having done this when a couple years ago they were asking me why i even wanted to do it in the first place is really was really great for me to to see them change their minds so much mm -hmm. after seeing me go through this and it was it was definitely something that i really love and um how did your friends react to it? I, they didn't, again, like, so my town isn't a town that generally produces people who yeah. go into the military. Um, Which is so opposite for me because I grew up in a big military family mm -hmm. and I grew up in a big military family town. Yeah. It was totally normal. It's, a lot of people thought it was cool. It was mm -hmm. this sort of foreign thing. Um, there was one other person I graduated from high school with that just commissioned into the army a couple of days ago. Okay. And, uh, but the two of us, I think are the only, the only, and one other person I believe is enlisted that I saw, but anyway, out of my entire graduating class, I can think of myself and two other people off the top of my head oh. that have gone into the military. Um, and so it was, it was just sort of this foreign idea but there wasn't there wasn't pushback. I think a lot of people were just curious, mm -hmm. and and I got to explain you know the limited knowledge that I had at that point, and I you know something that a lot of people that'll you know co going to Norwich, so a military school, not just into the military as a whole. We, we have mm -hmm. very different college experiences. Then, um, oh, yeah, <laughs> we have a very different experience. So it was something that we were told as freshmen at Norwich to expect it. But when we went home for like winter break and other things mm -hmm. and all of our friends who were freshmen at other schools that maybe partied a little bit more or maybe had, you know, social lives or well, well, their schools are like <laughs> getting up at 5 a.m. to go run yeah. in like, you know, minus five, minus 10 degree weather. Like we would go home and have drastically different experiences to share. And, you know, there's ups and downs to that. Um, but that was definitely something. And I think, I think the biggest thing that I would add is that, um, and this is just sort of a personal, a personal thing, is that my, my uncle, who inspired me to go mm -hmm. into the military, was supposed to be my first salute. When you have, at, at your commissioning ceremony, when you, when you commission, you become an officer, it's traditional that an enlisted person who um, had an impact on your on your getting there be the first person to salute you. 
and he passed away uh, about a year ago, mm. I would say, and um, actually it was just yesterday. Um, I went to, I'd gone out to, he's buried at Calverton National Cemetery, okay. which is in upstate New York. It's sort of like a Arlington part two. And I went out there in in my uniform and sort of and did a first salute with him. And oh my gosh, um, it was that was a really nice thing to be able to do. And um, when you're when you're on a path and going into the Air Force, you sort of just encounter the military in general. You just sort of encounter people throughout the whole world who were in the military. And I'd say about seven years ago, I was in an airport and. Um, I don't know if I was wearing a shirt that said U.S. Air Force on it or if my parents were just bragging about what I wanted to do. But there was a man there that had been in the Air Force for many years. And he and I sort of struck up a conversation. This was still very, very early in my aspirations to join the military. And um, part of the first salute ceremony in commissioning is you're supposed to give your the person who does your first salute a silver dollar or a dollar okay traditionally it's a silver dollar but this man in the airport seven years ago reached into his wallet and gave me a dollar bill and said i'm sure you're gonna something along the lines of i'm sure you're gonna do it i'm sure you're gonna get there give this to your first salute wow and i kept that dollar in my wallet for the last seven years and yesterday i gave it to my uncle and it was a very meaningful thing for me to do and gosh that's amazing so it was yeah anyway that's amazing i sort of I, I, I wasn't sure if i was going to share that or not but no i'm glad that you uh, did yeah can you talk about because i maybe there's people listening who are thinking about which branch they want to go into why air force uh well first off i didn't want to be on a boat that was my biggest i was like okay that automatically the Coast Guard, the Navy, and the Marine Corps are kind of out. out because I had zero interest on being anywhere near boats. Okay. I love boats, but for very limited amounts of time. I okay. could never, you know, be on a boat for longer than, you know, two weeks, let alone for an entire tour of duty. Um, so then it was between the Army and the Air Force. And um, at the time, and, and the entire DOD is making drastic reforms mm -hmm. to... Do you want to say what DOD is? Just oh, sorry. Case. The Department of Defense. Okay. We, we talk in acronyms. So yeah. I, I've been trying to do my best like to explain things as I go. But yeah, please stop me and make me explain my acronyms as I go. No, it's fine. But, I totally understand. I just don't yeah. think our listeners might not. So the entire uh, Department of Defense is making reforms to, to avoid these things. But when I was originally looking years ago at trying to decide which branch I wanted to, I wanted to chase. Um, the Air Force had more opportunities for women and women as a whole were being treated better in okay. the Air Force. Um, this in no way is the Air Force's official opinion. I'm speaking as myself, mm -hmm. not as a representative of the Air Force. That was just my personal opinions and uh at the time you know whether that was real or not real that was just my perception of what had been going on again not an official dod opinion at all and again there are massive reforms over the last many years to um 
bring the entire DOD up to date. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the Air Force has always been pretty progressive when it came to things like that. And in addition, when I, I again, I, I knew at that time, even years ago, that I wanted to study psychology and I wanted to use mm -hmm. that. And the Air Force had uh, behavioral sciences division and human intelligence and human intelligence and psychological operations are things that exist in the army as well. But I was particularly at the time interested in the behavioral sciences division, which if, and it was behavioral sciences and human factors analysis. And if I have my information straight, it's the human factors unit that has since transitioned into the information operations division, which is what I'm hoping to transition cross train into after a little bit of time with intelligence. So you mentioned the last time we spoke that you're one of the few Jewish students at Norwich. Can you tell us a bit more about this and like what your experiences were like on campus? Yes. So I kind of liked to joke over the last four years <laughs> that I was kind of like Norwich's head Jew. Um, <laughs> uh, it's in jest, but... Um, so instead of like HBIC, it's like HJIC? Yes, and you're not the first person to say that. <laughs> oh, that was being so clever. <laughs> you're like the second or third person to ever say that to me. Um, <laughs> third time to charm. No, I love it. I love it. I, I mean, yeah. But so it's... So Vermont is very regularly ranks overall in one of like the top five least religious states in the country. And um, and then at Norwich, it's a, it's a private, it's a private military school built around a chapel. So, um, and then on top of that, when you look at the demographics of the United States military as a whole, the 1% of the United States military, or sorry, let me rephrase, 1% of the population of the United States serves in the military. Of the population of the United States military, 1% of that is Jewish. Wow. So there are not a lot of Jews in the military. There's not a lot of Jews going to military schools. There's not a lot of Jews going through ROTC and then that kind of thing. So it was a shock and, and joining, going to, going to Norwich really made me realize first and foremost, how much I took for granted growing up within walking distance of my synagogue. That was one of the first things I realized was mm -hmm. how much I'd taken that for granted. I didn't, I never knew anything else. I didn't, you know, I remember spending Rosh Hashanah uh, freshman year because it was, they were very, the holidays were very early that year. Um, I remember I, I had reached out to people at the school, but again, as a rook, we have very limited privileges. But for religious purposes, they would let us off campus mm -hmm. as long as we had transportation to get there. The school offers transportation within a certain radius. Okay. Um, at this point, I was only looking for conservative synagogues. That's how I grew up. The closest conservative synagogue to Norwich is outside of the radius that the school was able to transport us. So I was looking to see if there were any students going to a synagogue, hop a ride with them. Um, and I never heard anything back. So I spent my first Rosh Hashanah away from home alone in my room 
to be perfectly honest, crying, looking at a sea door out my window. And um, I luckily for Yom Kippur, just a couple days later, um, was able, there was a group going and actually the upperclassman who took us was the regimental commander, the, the, the highest ranking cadet at the school. Um, and we were just a bunch of little freshmen and I was so scared and we got into the car because at this point we're like, like absolutely just like robot mode you know and we got into the car and she was like don't call me by my rank and name just call me my name mm-hmm. and I could not physically bring myself to not address her by her rank so I was like in this weird I was like okay she ordered me not to do this but I, I can't bring myself not to do this so my solution was just to not speak <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Um, but basically, but it, but it was great. And once we got to the synagogue, it was fine. And we all went to a Mexican restaurant to break fast. And it was, it was, it was great. Uh, but basically after that, I did my best. I, you know, made a sort of like a promise to myself to do my best to make sure that for as long as I was at Norwich, I would do my best to make sure that nobody at the school was in the same situation that I was in for Rosh Hashanah. My sophomore and junior year on top of my other responsibilities in the Corps of Cadets and with the Air Force Detachment, I was uh, making sure that people were aware um, of my contact information and making myself available to transport people to the closest synagogue for the high holidays and if they ever wanted to get to um, Friday night services. And also, um, when COVID made, made it really difficult, we weren't allowed on campus for a while, myself and another student named Rachel, um, were putting together um, on-campus events as best we could. Um, given that neither of us are rabbis, we couldn't <laughs> do too much, but it was better than nothing and an opportunity for the Jews that wanted to, to gather and celebrate the holidays together. Um, I was also um, getting as many um, like synagogues were live streaming services as well. So I was trying to disperse mm-hmm. that information as best I could. Um, and also starting I guess my second semester freshman year, I had this amazing opportunity to begin attending a conference. It's called the Jewish Warrior Weekend. And that's it's, cool. It's a conference of Jews mm-hmm. from military schools throughout wow. the country. And I've gone to one at West Point, uh, Annapolis, the where was a couple of the other ones. But basically, it's they it hops academies every year. Texas A and M was another one I was okay. at, and um, it's this gathering of Jews. And again, because the population of Jews in the military is so small. The people that I, that I had the opportunity to meet there are a large portion of the Jewish officers that I'll be serving with at the same time um, as I'll be in, which is which is amazing. And, and during COVID, when we were uh, unable to have an in-person conference, myself, two other cadets who went to, I believe, George Washington, uh, that were a part of the Naval Battalion there, the three of us, with the help of... Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Wallen, and I know he won't mind me saying his name on this, uh, who is an environmental engineering professor at West Point and is one of the most amazing human beings I've ever met in my life. Um, I'm totally going to tell him to watch this. 
or listen to this, um, <laughs> uh, put together a webinar series instead of the, the in-person conference. And um, it was an amazing experience to be able to contribute to doing that. Norwich is too small mm -hmm. to host uh, a Jewish Warrior Weekend at our school. So when I had the opportunity to help put together the webinar series, uh, that was sort of, I, I, I felt like I had an opportunity to help host in a way um, that um, Norwich wouldn't be able to on a bigger scale. And, um, and then this year, sort of coming to my senior year, my job, so earlier I was talking my, you know, previously everything that I had done for the very small Jewish community at Norwich University was on top of my responsibilities uh, with the Corps and the Air Force Detachment. But my job this year specifically for the Corps of Cadets at Norwich University was the Jewish chaplain's assistant. So I had access to more resources and it was my sole purpose to organize uh, Jewish life on Norwich. And it was the, probably one of the, the best thing that I did in Norwich as far as my core experience. Um, I had a great time doing other things in the core, but as far as feeling like I really contributed something, being the Jewish chaplain's assistant and just throughout the last four years of doing what I could for the Jewish community at Norwich, I feel like it's one of the most important things that I did while I was there. How has being a part of a religious minority influenced your college career? And is there anything you would do differently if you could start over? I don't think there's anything I would do differently at all. That's an awesome because feeling. I, you know, I, I think I didn't do as much as I would have liked to mm -hmm. in that, you know, I know that there are probably people who fell through the cracks that I just couldn't reach out to everybody or not everybody wants to open every single email that they get. And, and, and I know that, but I know that I did the most with what I had. And I set up, I, I, I was the first Jewish chaplain's assistant in a few years. Mm -hmm. um, and I made sure that there was one coming in for next year. And I, I think that I sincerely hope that what I've done over the last four years has built a groundwork so that he can continue to build on it and build Jewish life at Norwich University because I, I think it was maybe a little naive to think that I could start from scratch and have you know Friday night services happening all the time. Um, and, but I think that hopefully at this point, there's enough uh, foundation there that he can now take it and run and, and really build uh, a, a Jewish community on Norwich instead of just, you know, a couple people here and there trying to drive to Montpelier for a service every once in a while. But I, I yeah, I wouldn't do anything different. Like if I appreciate, you know, what my Jewish identity means in an environment like the military. That's awesome. As it's also Jewish Heritage Month, can you tell us a bit about what it's like being a Jewish woman in the military? Yeah, so I, I think that I've had a, a good opportunity to just sort of educate people. Because um, again, just in general, the military is such, has such a small Jewish population. And I love 
the opportunity to educate and share that with people. And I, I think, I don't know if it's a woman thing, but you know how, you know, as maybe a stereotype, but um, Jewish women beating people. I got, you know, for <laughs> Passover, um, cooking, you know, Rachel and I cooked, Matt twice now have cooked massive vat of matzo ball soup for 30 to 40 people. Um, and also I've had the joy of, of watching people try to filter fish for the first time, which is uh, interesting. <laughs> Freshman year is the first time I realized that there are certain foods that when you don't grow up eating it, it's maybe not the most appetizing thing. And it straight up never occurred to me that gefilte fish was not the most delicious thing in the world to people who didn't grow up eating it. My first time was rough. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think, I don't know if this is like, you know, playing into a stereotype here, but I really enjoy sharing the culture with people and just uh i think that's being a jew in the military but if we're talking being a jewish woman in the military i like feeding people what are your goals long term okay so have a plan but the plan changes regularly and um but it's better to have a plan and change it than to not have a plan at all i guess so the plan now is, so my commitment, my contract with the Air Force says that I'll do four years on active duty and then another four years on reserve. But my goal has always been to hit at least, to hit about 20 years, because at 20 years is when you start, is once you've hit 20 years in the military, you start getting a pension. It's the, you know, very complicated, but in a nutshell, you hit 20 years, you're gonna collect a pension. Mm -hmm. um, not all of that has to be on active duty. So I'm gonna do probably more than four. I'm not 100% sure how much on active duty. Um, and then transition likely into the National Guard in Maine. Okay. Um, just cause I love, I love the state and that's, um, you know, that's, that's where I wanna be uh, long-term. Um, and you know, when, when it comes to settling somewhere, I want it to be in Maine, but I don't wanna give up the military either. So. Um, transition from active duty into the guard there. And basically the goal is to work in intelligence for a couple of years, hopefully information operations for a couple of years. As that's going, acquiring um, graduate degrees on my own, um, is absolutely gonna get a PhD. And, and uh, essentially whether it's before I leave the military or uh, what I end up doing once I retire from the military, um, going back to working with veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and that's, that's still the goal. That's still mm -hmm. the long-term goal that I've, that I've had that, you know, has that, that is the goal. And it's been my inspiration for joining the military in the first place. And, and it all, it all goes back to my uncle and um, that's, that's still what I'm going to do long-term, but I'm excited to have a career doing other things as well in the air force before I get there. Well, we wish you all the luck in the world. And thank you so much for speaking to us. And thank you for your service. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for listening to Gen Z Israel. And feel free to reach out to us at pr at boston.mfa.gov.il with your questions and comments.